This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is an LGBTIQ Health Australia and Joy Media podcast. LGBTIQ Health Australia acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, their diversity, histories and knowledge, and their continuing connections to land and community. We pay our respects to all First Nations people and their cultures, and to elders of past, present and future generations. This podcast discusses themes that may be distressing to some. Support is available. You can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide anonymous support for the LGBTIQ community. QLife services are free and include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTIQ community members across the country. Call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat. Hello and welcome to the latest in LGBTIQ plus health and policy, the podcast that brings you health and well-being hot topic discussions. Each episode, we bring you an interview with a leading voice in LGBTIQ plus health and well-being. And today, that voice is Catherine Gill, Australian soccer player and the co-chief executive officer of Professional Footballers Australia. My name is Triana Butler. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat with Catherine. She became the first woman to be appointed to the PFA executive committee in 2014. In this episode, we're chatting about Catherine's career and what drives her. We'll chat a little bit about her work as the director of Pride Cup, as well as the legislation and guidelines that inform trans inclusion in sport. If this podcast raises any issues for you, remember you can contact QLife on 1-800-184-527 or you can visit qlife.org.au. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Now, you've had an amazing career playing in the Women's National Soccer League, the W League at the time, um, taking out the championship for Perth Glory, which is always an incredible achievement, captaining the Matildas, and you're now the co-CEO at Professional Footballers Australia. What is it throughout your career that drives you? Yeah, look, it's a fantastic opening question and um, just kind of reliving some of the the memories and I think accolades that you'd mentioned just there. But I guess success is a is a big driver, but also just the, the desire to, to be better and, and to be a better person and to learn and grow through that process have been my main drivers, you know, to, to learn from, from those around me and to just make myself a better person. I know throughout your career, you know, whether it's playing or whether it's now in the professional side of things, in the in the corporate suite, I guess you could say, uh, you know, <laughs> there are different challenges that you've got to be facing, very different challenges in both contexts. What have been some of those challenges that you face? Yeah, look, I feel as a female athlete, you're always reminded of just the second nature of, of the way that you're kind of accepted within the in the in the sport and in the domain, you know, you very quickly understand that you're a second class citizen in all these conversations from, from treatment to the, 
to the type of pitch that you put on, you know, the, the clothing that you're subjected to. I, I wore men's clothing playing for a very long time um, and just a level of remuneration and I guess the accolades and the exposure that, that comes with that as well. So that's made very real early on. You, you kind of learn your, your place in society and I guess sport is a, is a microcosm and a subset of society and, and how women are treated with, within that. So that's that's been a challenge throughout my sporting career and, and also moving into I guess the administration management side of sport as well you you still find it it's it's hard being a female in this environment but in saying that I've also had some very supportive people um, within it that have have helped me grow and to kind of figure out my path um, off the field as well. Well being now in the administrative side as you say you know you've been right there with a front row seat right at the front of the wave with this huge change that is coming through, huge pushes for equality, for equity, really, in in rates of, of remuneration for starters, in recognition for women's sport, particularly in the what is now the A-leagues, A-league men's and A-league women's. What is it like being in that space right now? Oh, look, it's it's fantastic to see the progress that's been made in relation to, to women's sport and not just in women's football. And I've always kind of considered myself just to be a, a custodian for a little while. And I've obviously when I entered the fray, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of those who had came before and have paved the way and, and given me massive opportunity to, to be involved in the women's game and to have the career that I had. So the notion of being able to, to pay that forward for the next generation and and see the improvements that they've been able to garner is is fantastic, and um, I think it it's quite you know it's quite humbling when you when you sit back and you reflect on that to know that you've you've paid a, a small part in um, honouring that legacy and and also improving the um the conditions for those that are, are to come after you as well. Now we know from the research that. LGBTIQ plus people typically have very low rates of participation in sport. But then in the other research, it's all about how important sport is for people's health and well-being, not just the running around, but also just the emotional and, and mm-hmm. mental side of it. So from your knowledge of the different sports groups that are in this space, I'd love to hear about some of them that are doing some really fantastic work. I feel like we, we should be doing a hell of a lot more, you know, as, as you said and I've rightly pointed out, the um, the well-being benefits of sport and the emo- emotional benefits of it and mental health benefits of it are, are second to none and everybody has a right to participate in that environment and our environment, especially at the elite level, I think women's sport um, is, a, is a different context in itself that's been far more inclusive and far more welcoming but when you look across our, our male codes, we simply aren't doing enough you know those stereotypes that still permeate within those environments aren't conducive to equality they, they don't allow lgbtiq plus people to even feel welcome or included in those spaces so for us i feel like we've got a, a hell of a lot more work to be doing in this space to improve that now in terms of work happening in that space you know you're also a director of pride cup which is a fantastic initiative tell us about the work that pride cup is doing to create these welcoming and supportive environments for lgbtiq plus people yeah i'm extremely fortunate to be involved um, with this nonprofit organization and it's it really is a startup it's 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 in its infancy and you know it's it's got community roots and it's all about educating 
people from the grassroots up, you know, making them understand just how their environments have been set up that, that aren't inclusive, that they're not welcoming, that they don't allow LGBTIQ people to exist in these spaces and work needs to be done. And, and that starts by meeting people where they're at, you know. You need to be able to make them comfortable to understand, to even open to be even open to understanding and and the work that Pride's Cup done at the, has done at a community level is is commendable and I think from building such a sound model evidence based model that that this really changes behaviour it changes hearts and minds and it opens up opportunity we've been able to kind of transport that into the elite environment and have worked closely with the um the A leagues last season for them to be able to establish their first set of Pride matches off the back of Josh Cavello. Um, coming out to his Adelaide United teammates and using the club as a vehicle to do so, which obviously speaks to the to the depth and breadth of work that Adelaide United had done to make Josh feel welcome um, and safe within his own club environment. Um, so, as I said, I'm exceptionally proud to be involved in, in this grassroots work and to see it also take place in the elite space and that change can happen. I think um, there's a lot more to be done, but it's exciting work that we're doing at Pride Cup. What can be done to get more LGBTIQ plus people into sport? I know there's, as you say, a lot of incredible work happening at the grassroots level at Pride Cup, but what do you see can be done to help get more queer people into sport? Yeah, for me, it's about making it a safe space. You know, this is never going to be achievable unless um, queer people feel safe and welcome in these environments. So I think education is the cornerstone of that. I think people need to understand people's lived experience and just how tough and challenging um, these environments can be. We really need to, to break down the stereotypes that exist within the male domain. You know, I don't think it's the language that's used in those environments and the old school approach to to even coaching and, and the way that players are communicated to, that that all needs to change and that only really comes with understanding just how tough and challenging it would be for someone who is um, queer trying to trying to operate in those spaces. They, they physically can't. They can't bring themselves into those environments because they're just not really welcome at all. So for me, for me education, that, that really is, is where we need to start. I mean, the education is so important because we've seen what happens you know, where there hasn't been the education in cases like the Manly Sea Eagles and their mm. pride jersey and no one knew that this was coming until the week before the game. The players didn't even know until they kind of were foisted off to a photo shoot and, you know, pose in these and that was the first they'd heard of it. So the education, obviously, really, really important. How do we get that done then? Yeah, I mean, I can use the example um, of the way that we worked with the A-Leagues and we were really conscious about the language that we used. You know, it, it wasn't a pride round because what we were asking as a as a minimum for each of the, the clubs involved was to, to, to undertake the education, you know, to, to hear from the current CEO at Pride Cup, James Lollicato, and, and his team to, um, to really deeply understand just the issues and the challenges that the LGBTI plus community face within the sporting context. And then we let the clubs go on their own journeys as to how far that they wanted to activate in response to that. You know, um, the women's team, no doubt, were, were ready. They, they wanted pride flags at their matches. They wanted, you know, um, um, pride armbands they they wanted pride jerseys on but it was it was all about if if the club's kind of comfort levels are first the education piece and then we can work with them to, to keep improving on that and to keep activating in different ways so I feel like the visibility piece is really important but the visibility with understanding is what will create the behavioral change 
We are chatting with Kate Gill here on The Latest, who's the co-CEO of Professional Footballers Australia. Now, Kate, we know that transgender diverse people in particular have a really tough time getting involved with sport. There's the transphobia just on that level. There's the media coverage. There's a lot of hyperbole and exaggeration that goes Mm. on in there. Why is sport struggling to address having transgender diverse people in sport? Because it's starting from the wrong place. It's been politicised. It's all about fear and it's for the wrong reasons. And I really struggle to um, actually comprehend why we aren't better at at dealing with these issues. And I I can understand it all and and when you try and unwrap it, but for me it's simple. In the community context, context, it should be about inclusion and participation. Everyone should welcome, be welcome, and they should be made to feel safe. But obviously when we when we um, move into the elite territory, then yes, we, we kind of have to take into the purview of, of fairness and safety within that lead environment. But I feel that, that starting from the place of fear is the wrong place to start. We need to, to pl- start from the place of acceptance and inclusion and safety. And then we can put in the guidelines and the policies around that. But we also really need to be transparent. This shouldn't be happening behind closed doors. Decisions shouldn't be making without being vocalised or being able to be seen as to why that determination is made because we all need to learn from this. Now, about your work at Professional Footballers Australia, you know, you're privy to a whole bunch of frameworks and guidelines, as you mentioned, legislation, evidence. What parts of that do you use to inform the trans inclusion and exclusion policies that are there? Yeah, the guidelines that we've been working to and, and what's happening at the moment is there is a, a football um, working group based on, on the stakeholders within our in our ecosystem and um, we're, we're looking at different policies driven down from that IOC, which is the International Olympic Committee, and also from the um, AIS essentially, so the Australian Sports Commission, um, who have kind of led and provided policy um, in this area. But it really needs to be bespoke to the sport. I think each sport needs to be able to determine what's what their rules are in relation to their policies. And as you said, it kind of operates in two spheres. You've got the community policy, which as I'm pretty clear about is is around um, inclusion and participation. And then there's the the elite level where um, the fairness and safety comes into the conversation. And that's about looking at each sport and probably each case on its merits, to be fair, and each individual circumstance needs to be taken into consideration and, and a bespoke kind of approach handled in, in each case. On a community level, on an amateur level, and an elite level, what does inclusion look like there? Because it's got to look different at those different levels. Yeah, and and I uh, yeah, the community level is exactly just everyone should be free to identify how they do identify and participate how they want to participate. You know, this is what it's about. It's about opening up a safe environment, everyone having the means to participate and enjoying that safely. And when we come to elite, obviously you are looking at the fairness aspect and and how that translate when you bring in gender diverse athletes into that conversation. But still, it's it's really defined just to um, female trans athletes participating in the female category. So it's very limited to one side of the conversation I still think there it's about defining what makes you a female and that's a horrible place to be starting from because if you identify as a female you are a female and I think we need to to set the policy in motion that that takes into consideration um everybody at um on a case-by-case basis that that's where I feel it needs to start from and it needs to start from a a place of acceptance so why do we never hear about 
the other side of that discussion, the the trans men who play in men's teams, even at, at community and amateur levels, mm. we, I don't seem to hear anything about them ever. I know they exist. They would have to be out there, surely. Yeah, well, I don't think it's politicised enough as what it is, as what the the female category gets. You know, it's about, as I said, determining what distinguishes you as a female and it's we're protecting female athletes and, and that's not the case at all. And I think for the men's it's it's just it's easier to, to just let it happen and, and not really turn it into a political conversation. Well, thank you so much for the chat today, Kate Gill, co-CEO at Professional Footballers Australia. A lot of really incredible work being done in that space and ahead of you know the Women's World Cup this year ahead of ANZ hosting it uh, across two different countries which I think that's the first time that's been done is that right? It is correct yeah it's exciting. How excited are you feeling about the kind of space that you're helping to curate coming into this huge global event the eyes of the world really are going to be on us this year? Yeah, they they sure are, and it's just exceptional to think that that we will be hosting a women's world cup in in two months time. You know, I'm still kind of reliving the moment when um we were told that that we were we're going to be hosting alongside New Zealand, and just to be able to to look at these athletes and appreciate them for for who they are and what they do, and I'm just really hopeful that it it sparks. In, in someone, anyone watching the game and they get excited and, and want to participate within the sport itself. So really looking forward to, to what's to come and I'm super excited just to be able to, to watch it as a spectator, enjoy it for, for all that it is. Oh, I can't wait either. Kate Gill, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. No, I really appreciate it. And Shana, thank you for being such a wonderful interviewer. Oh, shucks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Many thanks to Kate for her time today. If this podcast has raised any issues for you, you can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide anonymous LGBTI peer support and referral for people wanting to talk about a range of issues, including sexuality, identity, gender, feelings, bodies, or relationships. QLife services are free and they include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTIQ plus community members from across the country. Call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat. Now, if you'd like to suggest a person that you would like to hear being interviewed for the podcast, let us know about it. Email us at info at lgbtiqhealth.org. And in the subject line, make sure you include the word podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.